Hey everybody, my name is Jarrett, and this is a podcast. Hey everybody, this is my podcast. This is my podcast. This is my podcast. Hey everybody, this is my podcast. This is my podcast. So suck it. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Jarrett Show podcast, and I am very, very happy to present this episode to you. I was lucky enough to be introduced via email to Brian Vander Ark of the band The Verve Pipe. And if you don't know them by the name, you'll know them by the song The Freshman, which we will get into with Brian later on. My friend Dave Murray had just had Brian over for a house concert, which ironically is how I met Dave Murray. I did a house concert in his basement. So for Jarrett Goes to the Movies, we were doing the movie Rockstar. Well, it just so happens that Brian was in the movie Rockstar and had music in the movie Rockstar. So Dave had the idea of us hooking up and talking about it, and I wanted to interview Brian, but I I, I wanted to talk more than just about the movie. So I'm going to just play you guys the interview, the full-on, he was, he was driving from Philadelphia to Grand Rapids, Michigan, which if you're not from the United States, it's a long fucking ways. And he was nice enough to just chat with me on the phone for over an hour, which was uh, which was very, very kind of him. I just found him to be a really great dude, and I think you'll get the same vibe. Check this out. This is my interview with Brian Vander Ark from the band The Verve Pipe. Brian. Hey, how are you, man? Good, man. How's it going? It's going pretty well. I haven't talked to anybody in uh, a couple of days because I've been in the car. So quite the drive. from. So where do you live? I live in Michigan. I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, okay. So that that's where you that's where you grew up. That's where I grew up. Yeah, I pretty much lived there my whole life. I, I mean, I've I've moved to Chicago for a little while. I lived in New York for a little while, but I went back to Michigan when I wanted to procreate. So I got my wife uh, to come live in Michigan. I, I wasn't completely honest about the weather situation, but I, I made sure I got her pregnant right away. <laughs> <laughs> she was. She was stuck by wintertime. So you never really <laughs> fell into the because uh, so I'm I'm in the same boat. I live in Dallas, Texas, and through all of everything that I've done creatively or whatever, never yeah. really felt the urge to move. I mean, I, if I think if I would have had to have chosen before I I got married and had a child as well, I probably would have picked New York. Oh yeah. But I feel like had I done that, I think one winter would have sent me right back here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You guys get a little bit of snow down there, but you know you don't get the hundred feet that we get up here. That's definitely true, and and you're you're exactly right. I mean, we get just enough of a taste of it, but the problem yeah. is if we don't get that winter, our summers are brutal, and we didn't have we didn't even have a freeze this year. So this oh, is that right? this summer is gonna suck, man. So you made the drive you made the drive from Grand Rapids, which we love Grand Rapids, by the way. It's always been great to awesome city. Great, yeah, been great to our band, and you know, always. I'm sure they love you there. I mean, they they're it's you know, it's unfortunate that it's not uh, more. It doesn't embrace the local scene as much as it should. But anybody that travels up into the Mitten State and plays up in Grand Rapids instead of Detroit, people love. They adore them. They're just, just so appreciative that you came up there. You know. Well, thank you for talking to me, man. I know. Again, I know you're. You're super busy, and man, that seems quite a drive. And you doing you doing these drives by yourself? Yeah, I mean, I I dude, I got small kids at home, you know. And as much as I love them, I, I love the quiet of the drive, and Daddy can listen to whatever he wants to, yeah. or not listen to anything at all for ten hours. Right, I get that, but you know what I would wonder? So, so, the, and actually, how you and I met, which is it's pretty crazy how it timed out. You do these what the, you do these house shows, and you just drove. From Grand Rapids to Philly by yourself, which is a long drive, uh, yeah. to do these house shows. And see, here's my thing. 
I I like to take a tour manager with me just so I have somebody to take care of me. <laughs> yeah. You need taken care of? Only from the aspect of, like, when we walk into the house. Because don't you find it a little uncomfortable when you first walk into the house? Oh, it's incredibly uncomfortable. You're so vulnerable. Are you kidding? In fact, uh, I'm sorry. I forget the name of the guy. And it was just a couple weeks ago. But I do so many of these. No, it's, the uh, his, his name's David Murray. David, that's right. Okay, so David. So the perfect example is, like, you go to David's house. And I don't know David. Right. And everything's been done through email through, I have a guy, uh, he's not really my manager, but he's the guy that manages all the house concerts for me. He's a big, he was a big fan and, and I hired him just to like talk to people and do that kind of thing. So I don't, I've never even spoken to David or his family. I have no idea what to expect. And you ring the doorbell and you're completely at the mercy of who's <laughs> behind the door. And it's, it's a feeling that I love though. I mean, that's a thrill to me. That's like, I have no idea what's happening here. I don't have the safety net of anybody with me. Right. And uh, no offense. I mean, some people, uh, I just totally understand why you might need that. Right. But my manager, when I first told him this idea 10 years ago, I said, uh, I want to do this. And he was so worried that somebody was going to email that they had 50 people come in and then I would show up and it'd be some lonely woman in a wedding dress right. or something, you yeah. know, on the other side, you know, who wanted to hear the same song over and over or something. But to this day, it hasn't, there really hasn't, hasn't been any, like, horrible show. There hasn't been, there's been a couple of experiences that could have been better, but over 600 of these shows, they all end up good in some way. It's you so know? cool you've been doing it so long, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely what if you've been doing this 10 years, that was definitely a different idea, you know, because I know that. Well, we didn't know what it was back then. Right. You know, we didn't know what we I, I called it like a backyard show or let me play at your barbecue show or something, you know, like nobody was talking about house concerts. I'm not saying I invented house concerts. They've been going on for years and years. Right. Sure. You know, but I think what I ended up doing was different because I found a way to be able to go from one to the next to the next. And I'll do three or four a day on a Saturday or Sunday because it's a two hour experience. You go in, you play, you know, you say hi for, you know, 30 minutes and get comfortable and you play for an hour and then you stick around for a half hour for pictures and sell some merch. And then you drive straight to the next one. And if they're in the same town, I just saved those people the money of the expenses of the first one right you know? so everybody's price comes down the more i book in an area because you don't want to just do it for rich people rich, the rich people are the worst house concerts ever right you want to do it for the people that really appreciate you you know you're so right because so. the people with the money it's not really them it's the guests it's like uh it's yeah. like playing a wedding yeah. for example it's like you know we, yeah. we we stopped doing those four years into the band because there are two people interested in the fact that you're there, and that's the bride and the groom. Yes. <laughs> and that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or in my situation, you know, I just did that last night. I played at a wedding. And what happened was the best man made the speech, and the best man knew that the bride and groom were huge fans of mine. And he was, too. Huge enough to buy my solo material besides the bird pipe stuff, which is a real test. Uh, that's, that's a real tell. And so his, I was part of the speech. So he said, I'm going to play you one of your favorite songs. This is called Happy to Scissors, a song that I wrote. And, uh, and he hid me, and I had to hide inside of this cake. Oh, no, I wasn't a cake. I just couldn't. Oh, <laughs> no, that would have been funny. As shit, yeah. I would have done that in a second. <laughs> so I had to hide and wait, and then I had to come out. Well, you come out, and, like, nobody else knows who I am. Exactly. You know, like, zero people, because I don't look like 
the freshman video or anything. But they're thrilled, and then I play, and it's the happiness of song, and then I end up playing a couple more songs during dinner. And it was awesome, though. It was great. I mean, by the end of it, everybody's warmed up, you know, and fun, and the whole thing ends up being great. But I... I get that where, you know, where you've only got one or two people that are fans and then you've got 150 or 200 people that have no idea who you are. Right. You know, and I sort of see it from your standpoint, too. And now that I'm thinking about it, you know, I definitely have a different. So if I I do something on my own, uh, the way that I react to things, the way that I is is way different than if I if if Eric from my band is there playing with me or whatever, you know, it, it again. So, like, I could just see how, you know, when you when I'm on my own. It's sort of like, okay, this is my room to work. And you have nobody to play off of except for the audience. And so it makes you be in that moment a lot more than having a security blanket of somebody sitting next to you, you know, and being like, we've played our two songs. Now let's go over here and have punch and act like we're talking about something. You know, it's... it's, Yeah, you're uh, you're forced to be in the moment. That's the best way that you could possibly describe that Absolutely. you do it on your own you have to be in the moment with those people and you're not you know I've, I've done it before where i brought a couple of backup musicians for fun in fact i did most of last year that way and uh and it was tremendous it was great to have that but this year i thought i got to get out of my comfort zone again yeah you know, i just gotta i gotta get out of the comfort zone I don't know why. My wife calls it some sort of penance that I feel I, I have to put upon myself. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what I ever did to deserve that. But but I enjoy that challenge and I, I you know, I, I end up leaving there going, Wow, that was really great or hey hey, uh, I did the best I could on that one. Right. Let's go to the next one. Your wife must be very understanding because as we record this it's Mother's Day and you're you're driving across the country. Yeah. So uh, and she's at home I assume yeah. with the children. We just bought my wife, you know, we're not rich by any means, but we did just buy her a vintage car that she had her eye on, a, a Jeep Wagoneer. Oh, nice. And uh, so we drained a lot of our savings just to pay cash for this thing because we try to get out of debt. So she really didn't have any choice in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> she really, like, I know that I'm probably good for the next three or four weeks. Yeah. And I can pretty much do whatever I want. Yeah, so good. It's, uh, well, I'm I glad. took advantage. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be helpful, Mother. You know, so last thing on the house concerts, I do have to tell you a story. So my friend Justin yeah. uh, from the band Blue October has done a handful of these, and he and he um his his following is pretty cult like, and mm-hmm. and I think this is why I feel like I have to take my tour manager Dave with me, or or my or my nephew Coulter will go with me from time to time. And again, just to sort of help break that barrier that is when you walk in the door, like. You know, I don't know, man. It's it, and I'm getting off topic, but it, it's just easier when you walk in and you have to take a shit, and it's just so they can go up and be like, "Hey, where's your restroom?" You know, and, and they kind of do that, and it's not like, "Hey, this guy that I just paid two thousand dollars to come play in my basement needs to shit in my house first thing when he walks in," you know. And so anyway, Justin shows up to this house. And it's a guy and his wife, and they greet him, and, uh, you know, there they are, and they sort of sit down on the couch, and, you know, he's, he's like, yeah, so uh, when's, when's everybody else going to be here? And they're like, oh, no, no, this is it. We just hired you to play for us. <laughs> and they're sitting on a sofa, and there is a chair 10 feet away from them, centered, and it's just like, do your thing. And to me... That's like a horror movie. Like that's you're gonna get it. You know, and that's like the that's the beginning of like the sequel to Misery <laughs> with James Bond. <laughs> you know, like he's never fighting his way out of this. I can't one up that, but I can say that I've 
actually done that. That's actually happened a few times. Really? In fact, I have to. I have to one up that one. Okay. Where it was, it was one person. Oh wow! <laughs> but it's not a traditional show. Then you you can't like go in and go. Okay, I'm playing for one person. You know, his wife was busy doing something else. That's why he was sitting on the couch alone. You know. Yeah. But. The fact is, is he was such a fan, and you know he couldn't get out of the house, and he couldn't do this, but he could afford to have me come. So, but the fact is, is like it, it's not a show. Then you have to make it conversation. Sure. It has to be, hey, what do you do for a living? Was blah blah blah, and then he'll and I'll say, well, what's your favorite song? And say, I like this song because of this, and I'll say, oh, I recorded that song because of this, and blah blah blah. Here, I'll play it, and I play it, and that kind of thing, and that's how the whole thing goes. So you end up playing like six songs or seven songs in an hour, yeah. as opposed to where you got fifty people in the house or 100 people in the house where you just play, you know, 13 or 14 songs and then get the hell out of it. But it really is a matter of, like, being, like, be, like really getting out of your comfort zone. I mean, that, I, I can imagine, like, somebody that hasn't done that before, how creepy that would be. Well, you, you definitely seem like you're a good sport on all levels, so, uh, and I think that, I think that helps immensely. Well, I think that I, I think it helps that you seem like a, like a people person. I mean, I, I really like people. I get a kick out of people, uh, people and their stories, and and actually, I I take a lot of people's stories and make them my own. Sure. <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, as far as writing lyrics and uh, and that kind of thing. And as a writer, and you're a songwriter, you know. I mean, as a writer, you run out of things to say. I mean, a Absolutely. lot of times it's like everything becomes derivative of your own material. And so, meeting new people and hearing new stories and and doing that every, you know, or four days a week, three, four days a week. Uh, I, I've got no shortage so far of songs, you know, and that's due to that, you know, yeah, and you being able to put myself out there. And you're staying busy, and, you know, like you said, it, you know, songwriting, playing, or whatever, it's a muscle. you got to exercise it, and I'll take some time off from, oh my God, from yeah. writing. And I, I wouldn't say I've, I've, I've never had writer's block, but I definitely have, like, writer suck you know we're like I'm, I'm, like <laughs> yeah. i write yeah. for two weeks and i'm just like well there's a bunch of bullshit i'll never revisit again you know <laughs> kind of that's thing. that honestly for me that's that creative atrophy that's where you you know where you're not creative for a while and then the first thing you do is complete shit yeah exactly <laughs> where you think oh wow i'm really out of something here and then you'll listen to it two days later and go oh my god what a piece of shit that is <laughs> right. i thank god i didn't tweet that or anything, you know what I mean? <laughs> no kidding well so you started playing music super early like really early as a child and then what i found interesting about your history was that right after high school you just went straight into the army and did four years, I did, four yeah. years of service I to did. the country so thank you for your service first of all I appreciate that. And, uh, uh, sure did, thing. I didn't really do anything. It was in the 80s, so there was nothing. I mean, we, we invaded Grenada when I was in. I mean, that was like... It was like nothing, so there was nothing going on for me. So not a lot of uh, not a lot of excitement. I mean, any travel? No. Did you guys move? Did they move you around at all? Well, yeah, or? I lived in I lived in Europe. I lived in Germany. I mean, my the story. What I mean, what actually what I did was was really interesting. I look back and I'm thankful that I was able to do it. I was in military intelligence. I was ground surveillance. And what we would do is I would work on the border of Czechoslovakia, not at the actual border crossing, but in the middle of a farmer's field where you have little border stones every 50 meters apart or whatever. And you would watch for any kind of activity, anybody trying to escape to come across. This was 1983, right. 1984. So, and if they would come across, then you would give them a blanket and give them a cigarette and you'd send them to the German Polo time. I mean, that was, uh, that was what our uh, mission was. 
Right. But I never really saw any activity. I mean, we would stay up all night with the night vision goggles and watch for anything going on. We would see, you know, we would see other border guards on the other side doing the same thing we were doing, taking notes of what we were wearing. We'd take notes of what they were wearing. You couldn't wave. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't, certainly couldn't flip them off. You know, you, you, you know, there's nothing you could really do. You couldn't even make, you weren't supposed to make eye contact. You were just supposed to write down what you saw and document what you saw. And what we used to do was we would take, I would take a pack, I took a pack of cigarettes and I went in the middle of the night and I went up to the border zone and put a pack of cigarettes on the border zone and I, in hopes of, of this guard that I'd seen knowing about taking them. And, uh, and then I would go back to the Jeep, you know, a couple hundred yards and wait and go out three or four hours later and see if they'd taken the cigarettes. And it was only one time that I went out there and I saw the pack of cigarettes were still there and I picked them up. And it was a, it was a it was a pack of Czechoslovakian cigarettes. Uh, like he had traded cigarettes. It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. I was like, wow, we just had a free exchange of goods, you know, on the border with a Czechoslovakian soldier at that time, you know, under communist rule. That was amazing. Enough to, to, for me to be called in for treason. I don't know, but <laughs> the fact is, is like. And then, you know, I was like, I'm going to save these smokes forever. And like a week later, I get drunk at German beer and I pull them out and smoke them all. <laughs> Yeah, it's just so stupid. Yeah, you got to... In the same situation, I actually, somebody actually, never mind, somebody actually gave me uh, a box of George Harrison's, um, damn it, was from his private collection of incense. Right. Right? Incense sticks. Sure. And it was all like this Indian writing. It was this great thing. And I used to pull it out of parties. And, and inevitably, somebody would say, you got to light one. And pretty soon, of course, you know, within a month of partying, you know, all my George Harrison incense are <laughs> they're, gone. They're <laughs> all gone. <laughs> anyway, that's my that's my life, Jared. No, I love it, man. I, I think we have we have a lot of similarities where that is concerned. <laughs> we'll talk about me another time. Uh, the uh, man, and then so I I love the fact that you joined the band His Boy Elroy as the guitar player. Um, yeah, I, I, and, yeah, and, and I couldn't really even play guitar. I was a terrible guitar. I was a terrible rock guitar. Right. Well, I mean, they. You know, it's funny because it's like you hear about that band all the time, and I would have never put that together of you. You know what? That's a different band that you've heard of. Is it? Yeah, that's not my. That you you've heard of another band called His Boy Elroy. Yeah, that that that's funny because there were three bands called His Boy Elroy, and I know the one you're talking about. They were quite they were quite a bit more famous than we were. Right. We were just a local band in Kalamazoo, Michigan. We never really went out and played anywhere. There Hilarious. was a band in northern northern Michigan that our drummer had gone up to northern Michigan and saw this band in a bar. And they were named His Boy Elroy, we found later. And he came back and said, I got the best name for the band. Let's call it His Boy Elroy. No way. You know? Yeah, so he totally stole his name, not knowing. <laughs> that is and then amazing. Years later, and then years later, we hear about this His Boy Elroy. Uh, they were a pop punk band, right? Yeah. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they were like, they were actually doing things. You know, we weren't actually even doing anything. We were like playing. We played a couple of frat parties, and that's about it. That's probably shitty research on my part too. I think I just saw the band name no, and put it no, out there, but because no. we were probably a Not decade apart as well too. You know, because this was before you started the Verve Pipe, and uh, <laughs> and so you know that would have been early '90s, and I think the the current His Boy Elroy is probably was more of a later '90s thing. But hey, I just yeah. found it, I found that super interesting. It, regardless, the name. It's a great name of a band. I mean, absolutely. I, you know, I got to say, when our drummer came came up with the name, we were like, "Oh, it's amazing!" Yeah, awesome. Came up, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that you just referred to Kalamazoo, Michigan, because the one thing that I think about every time I think about Kalamazoo is that movie Light of Day with Joan Jett and Michael J. Fox. 
Sure. And she course. does the, uh, you know, how you do, Kalamazoo, or whatever, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What a great, I, you know what? I fucking love that movie. And I met Joan Jett one day at a, uh, not well, one night after uh, after our little Grammy bid that we had and uh, met her at a party. And, uh, you know, and I was talking to her and I was talking her up. And, and uh, you know, I was doing pretty good, I thought, in the conversation. And, like, actually, you know, yeah. hey, well, I'm fucking hanging out with Joan Jett. This is happening right now. And I was just like, you know what? Light of Day was really a fucking good movie, and she just goes, eh, kind of depressing, don't you think? And I'm just like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that's it for me. I'll move on now. Thanks, Joan. <laughs> oh, man. You can't, but you know what? It's like, I, I have those I have those moments, too, where you just go, you know what? You're just being yourself. Exactly. If you thought it was a good movie, and it resonates with you in some way, then that's that's the way it is. I met Cameron Crowe. I got the opportunity to have dinner with Cameron Crowe with our publisher. And I was a pretty big fan of Cameron Crowe's, you know, especially uh, Fast Times. You know, he wrote Fast Times. Sure. And all that after. And this was while he was going to get the Oscar for Jerry Maguire. He was up for a best picture. Mm-hmm. And he walks in and he's like, I was just in a, this huge argument with them. They wanted to show uh, different clips uh, during the Oscars than I wanted them to show. And I said, Oh, let me guess. Those idiots wanted to show the, the you complete me scene. You know, and I was thinking, giving away the end of the movie, that would be so stupid. He goes, no, that's the scene that I want them oh, to show. Right. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And again, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. yeah, you're like, you're like, waiter, check, please. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't even the worst of that conversation. The worst was when he started talking about Zeppelin. And I said, you know, I've never really been a Zeppelin fan. Yeah. And that was the end of our Dude, podcast. I'm so honest about that. I fucking hate Led Zeppelin and I don't like <laughs> and I don't like ACDC I either. I fucking hate I ACDC and I I'm just honest about it. Like I I don't know. I I just that's just not what the the kind of music that I that I like. So Man, I've been shunned by so many musicians at so many parties. As soon as like everybody know all my friends know, I, I I never liked Led Zeppelin. Yeah. I mean, I like the band. I could never stand Robert Plant's voice. You, I can't stand it. To me, it's just something like, about just, it. That's like crying baby to me. Just <laughs> on and on and on with the song. Jesus Christ. Let's go to the next and one. And the lyrics, these pretentious <laughs> Tolkien lyrics that are just bullshit. I'm just like, what is it? It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, uh, okay, so here's my third one that I fucking hate. That this one actually gets me in a lot of trouble too. I don't like the Rolling Stones. I'm a Beatles guy. Don't like a total them. Beatles guy too. Yeah. Yeah. So again, similar similarities are good. Well, it's tough. It's tough with the Rolling Stones because they went through so many genres. Yes, and they the- did so many things that it's hard for me to say point blank that I don't like the Stones because Street Fighting Man is a. I, I loved Street Fighting Man. I loved Angie. You know, when I was a kid growing up and heard that on the radio, it creeped me out. It was awesome. But there's so much of the rhythm and blues, the R and B stuff that just did not. Take you know, Jumpin' Jack Flash and all that bullshit. I yeah. hated it. Me too. So same here. You know what? You, you that's a fair assessment because I think the country stuff is awesome. I think Wild Horses yeah. is amazing. Awesome. And uh, yeah, yeah, Miracle Mile or I'm uh, no, sorry, Movement Mile. Oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, unbelievable. So, so you guys, yeah. you guys get signed uh, after you. You so, so you, well, hold on. So you start the Verve Pipe with your brother You're in a band with your brother, and is this yeah, older my brother or younger? Brad. Uh, Brad's five years younger than I. Okay, wow. So that's the same. So my brother is five years older than me. So you guys grew up in small town Michigan, or you know, small-ish town yep. Michigan. He's five years yep. older than you. So 
I can imagine that you were a pain in his ass quite a bit, you know, yep, that, and, yep. and, you know, like, and he and his friends picked on you and, and, you know, you kind of followed him around, did what he did, all that shit. And then here you are, you know, you coming out of, obviously you're a talented musician. You've been doing all this stuff and you guys start a band together. He's on bass. His name is, uh, is it, uh, sorry, Brad, Brad, Brad. Brad that's right. Brad, Brad. So anyway, shout out to Brad. Um, but you guys on your debut album, uh, debut major label album. You got this song, it's, this, uh, it's called The Freshman, and it just blows up, It and crazy, crazy huge song. I'm not going to make you explain the meaning of it, because I, I think that you've done that 25,000 times, uh, <laughs> and I do love the fact, though, that you you know, took some artistic liberties in it and sort of just made it your own, so whether the story is about the abortion or whether it's the suicide or a combination of like things that were going on in life and you know whatever it's a fantastic song and i appreciate that since you you. and i started talking on the internet i've had it in my head and so i wondered for you because (laughs) so here's the thing about me i'm horrible at picking singles which is good that i was on a major label for nine years because i would have (laughs) never picked any of my hits um yeah when you guys recorded this song you know uh, was it evident that this was going to be something that you thought people would relate to and take off, but but maybe you just didn't well, think it would be quite knew, as big as it was? We knew ahead of time. I mean, I wrote the song in like 89, uh, you know, years before it came out. It was like six years before it was released. Seven years, actually, or maybe eight years, almost eight years. But, you know, when my brother and I, when our first band, Johnny with an I, we started playing that song live. And people right away, I, the first time I played it, I was so excited to play it, I got all the words wrong. But I only had, and the only, and I had to make up words on the fly. But, but I remember the only thing I had was like the she was touching her face won't be held responsible part. And then like people came up in droves after what was that song about her touching her face? I agree. You know, and I knew then. And the funny thing about that, by the way, that line. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but that line, I happened to need a line. These are like jigsaw puzzles. These songs. Sure. You know, I'm missing a line here, missing a line here. You know that as a songwriter. And I happened to be watching MTV back then in 92 or something, or 91 maybe, and I still needed that. And the vinyls video came on. I touched myself, mm-hmm. and she happened to be laying back touching her face. Interesting. And I thought, that's very sexy, and that's, I, put, I just threw it in there. But that's the line that everybody's like, oh, my God, what does it mean? What does it mean? It's, you know, and the line that resonates. So early on, I knew we were on to something. Yeah. And we put it on our first Burk Pipe album before we got signed, and, and we sold, you know, 40,000 copies of that album. And then our next album, we sold, you know, for another 40,000 something. Then we got signed, and RCA decided to strip it off that first album. They wanted us to redo it. Right. And so we redid it in the modern rock format with Jerry Harrison. He produced our first, uh, our big album, Villains. Uh, and he did the sleepy version of it that was like six minutes long. And so we had to then... You know, it was released, and then we didn't release it as a single yet. And then we had to go in and redo it with Jack Joseph Puig, who produced Jellyfish and Graves and a bunch of other L.A. bands, great L.A. bands. Absolutely. And and then, um, and that was the one that became the big hit. Mm -hmm. So the song had been kicked around for seven, eight years before it actually took off. So we knew, I I felt pretty strongly in the beginning that, that, that that was probably a hit song by the reaction. Took advice 
Now I'm guilt-stricken, sobbing with my head on the floor. Stop them, baby's breath, and a shoe full of rice. No, can't be held responsible. She was touching her face. I won't be held responsible. She fell in love in the first place. For the life of me, I cannot remember what made us think that we were wise and we never compromised. For the life of me, I cannot believe we'd ever die for these sins. We were merely freshmen. Left and now he's guilt stricken, sobbing with his head on the floor. Thanks about him now and how he never really wept. He said, Can't be held responsible. She was touching her face. I won't be held responsible. She fell in love in the first place. You know, RCA waited. We released Photograph first, which hit the top 10. Yeah. 
uh, and that did really well. And then they released Cup of Tea, which uh, was a big rock song that took a complete shit. Nobody bought that. <laughs> so, and we were going to do on the uh, more... first Verve Pipe album as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And we were going to do three more singles before, you know, RJ kept saying five, you know, that's major label. We got five singles, six singles on this record, you know. And then, uh, and then after the the second one takes a shit, they're like, "Well, we might have to shut this whole operation down." You're like, "What are you talking about?" Of course. Are you kidding me? And so they're like, "Well, we're going to jump straight to the freshman now." I was like, "All right, well, if you think that's best, of course it was best." Yeah. Uh, but for us, after the freshman, you know, we had two other singles, and nobody would play our next single because they were still playing the freshman. That was a great curse to have. It was a curse <laughs> because you could not get another song on the radio because they, so the freshman was still being played like two years later. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Now I'm thankful now that that uh, that that happened, but it was impossible to follow up. Well, you know, it's funny though because a lot of people who are listening to this are music fans and not necessarily in the industry, and even the, the musicians that listen to this don't really know the game that is the major label business and it, it it does suck i'm not a label hater by the way i actually think there's a there's a place not for, for labels True, um, of course. i don't i do think there's that a place for the partnership for sure uh, yes there there are evil people in that industry but there's evil people in all industries and um yeah. but you know yeah. I, I had a similar thing so when 1985 was such a huge i had i'd had a couple of minor hits before 1985 was so big and then my yeah. f the follow-up to that same <laughs> thing they wouldn't play my second single off that but then i i went on to my my fourth record with uh, with Jive, and the first song out was called High School Never Ends, and radio wouldn't play it because they were just like, well, this is just like the sequel to 1985. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, you know, whatever. But it's so funny because that is our most downloaded song now. So had the label just stuck with it and stuck with it and stuck with it, and they and they kicked themselves for it too, but I would have had yeah. another smash. But unfortunately, yeah, it's just, had, just the way that radio works. We had the same situation with our song Colorful, which I wrote for the movie Rockstar. Yes. The song in the end of the movie. And Mark Wahlberg sings the song to Jennifer Aniston. He looks things to my voice. Now, this, this to me was like a slam dunk opportunity because we had an album coming out with the song Colorful on it. We had the movie being released at the same time. If RCA would have made that a single and worked in tandem with Warner Brothers, you know, because it was a Warner Brothers picture... But RCA didn't want anything to do with Warner Brothers. So they're like, no, we're not going to push this or promote this thing at all. Right. Turns out in the end, that album and that movie were both released like within days of 9-11. So everything took a dump. Yeah. It was the worst time to release anything. So the whole thing was a failure. But now Colorful has like become our second biggest hit because everybody sees that movie on VH1 now. They play it all the time. Mm -hmm. And when we play the opening chords at shows, at festivals, people, there's a, like a gasp from the audience. They don't realize that it's our band that actually does that song. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the movie Rockstar. Cause, and what we're doing here is uh, we're doing two podcasts with Brian Vanderark from the band The Verve Pipe. One called The Jarrett Show, which we'll play the long form of this where, we, where we're talking just all kinds of shit. And then we'll fo put the movie focused on Jarrett Goes to the Movies. This will be something really cool as we talk about the movie Rockstar to actually have you, not only for the song that we're talking about, but you played a part in the film. I did, yeah. Well, if you call it a part, I mean, uh, it was, uh, I was a walking mullet in that movie. I had, like, I had like two lines in the movie, and for two lines I had to have a mullet for like three months. That was not an easy, uh, an easy thing. You grew your own mullet? Uh, I grew most of it. It wasn't quite long enough in the back, so they had to put extensions in. <laughs> 
you know, listen, that the experience of being in the movie and being on the set for two or three months was amazing. I mean, Zach Wilde and, you know, and Jeff Pilson taught me how to play bass, you know, from Dawkins. Yeah. And, uh, and guys from Slaughter and yeah, Jason Bonham, you know, was in it. And so this was a great group. And then, you know, Timothy Oliphant, who, who became friends with over the years and, you know, Mark and Jennifer as well. These just a great group of rockers and actors where this was a party set to be on every day. It was just a joy. It was well, amazing. So, so what, the one so thing that I, that I wonder, so I've done the same thing. Obviously, I've, I've done the, I did the major label thing when they had money. I've done the major th- label thing when they didn't. Um, you know, I've done my, so the, the amount of money that I thought that was in music. So when we got, so we got signed in 1999, illegal downloading and stuff was still not quite that um, prevalent. And uh, yeah. so they still had money. So we couldn't eat. We were literally like, I, I literally lived in my van for two years, not not down by the river, like actually lived in it. And yeah. um, we couldn't afford to eat but one meal a day. But the label could take us to the strip club and drop $3,000, you know? And like, to me, it was, yeah, just, that's crazy. it was so much money. But holy shit, music money compared to movie money, it's like fucking preschool. I mean, the amount of yeah, money no on a movie set is crazy. There's no comparison. So were you just blown away, like kid in a candy store? Like it's like you go to craft services and it's like they just fucking like threw up a Seven Eleven right there on set. You just get whatever you want. And... <laughs> yeah, literally <laughs> threw up a Seven <laughs> Eleven. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's true though. I mean, that's you know the accommodations were phenomenal. I mean, it was a it was a three months of you know first class everything. I mean, it was it was an amazing amazing experience in that regard. And we were. You know, the vert pipe was at pretty much the height or close to that 99, 2000, um, when I, or 99, yeah, when we started working on that movie. And uh, we were so used to that kind of treatment, though, at that point that I didn't appreciate it nearly as much as I appreciate it now when I go to a club and there's, you know, there's one orange and, uh, you know, yeah. and some uh, Tostitos. A bottle of water and a, and a towel. A lot of, <laughs> yeah, half a bottle of water, usually. Uh, <laughs> you know, so nowadays, it's like back then, I go, I go, man, that was awesome back then, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you're you're right. Ridiculous amount of money, wasteful money spent, which reminds me of our recording budgets too for RCA were crazy. Our first album we recorded, you know, we recorded for five grand, and then you know the album that followed up, Villains, the big album, it cost one point two million dollars. Whoa! <laughs> holy <laughs> shit! Was, I mean, it was a stupid, stupid album. I mean, I I love the songwriting on that, but we we were in New York and we were uh, we were all artsy and we were you know we weren't gonna take second best of anything and we ended up tripling our budget which is just the stupidest thing and, and expectations that you know 1.5 million people had bought the album that the freshman was on so at least 10 percent of those people were going to go out rush out and buy the next album yeah. we thought or at least five percent sure. in the first week is that we're going to sell eighty thousand in the first week and everything's going to be paid for no worries you know like eight thousand people in that first week plus the record right. not eighty thousand yeah and that, you know and it's so, it, a huge failure you get you get caught up in that stuff i mean you know, for us, yeah. I always tried to keep it to where I didn't spend a lot of money on records. There are two Dude, kinds of record deals. There's a uh, there's a recording budget and there's a recording fund. Yeah. And one of them, you spend whatever you can up until this amount. And if you don't spend it, you don't get it back. One of them, though, That's right. if you don't spend it, they actually just give you the money. So yeah. ours were, we wouldn't get the money if, if we didn't spend it. So the first right. record was 30000 The second one, we had like seventy five. Well, the... 
third record jumped up to I think it was three hundred thousand dollars, and I mean it was retarded. We we moved studios. We we started in Atlanta, then moved to Tulsa, then moved to L.A. We all had our own rooms at the W Hotel, and we, we you know, we, we, I mean, we, we, everything, it was just, it was crazy, but again, like, we were just like, well, fuck them, you know, we're never going to recoup anyway, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Because the thing That's is, is felt. that you guys had a hit before, you know, and you're lucky enough that, that this happened before, you know, the whole, the whole illegal downloading and all of that, which, you know, yeah. My big hit, well, my first hit was in 2003, and my second, my big hit, 2005. By then, you know, it, it was huge radio, but just the equivalent of how many records I would have sold five years earlier is crazy. So oh, yeah. You, you did it. Yeah. You sold over three million records. I mean, that's. Yeah, we were in the last, we were in that last generation of that last, class, like the class of 98 was our class. Yeah. You know, bands like Tonic and yeah. uh, other bands like Seven Mary Three and those bands that, you know, even uh, Matchbox 20, although they took off into the stratosphere. Sure. But these were all the bands that, you know, that was it for us. I just had this conversation with Emerson from Tonic. We just said, you know, th th we were the last ones. Yeah. We were the last ones that had the benefit of selling records. Yep. <laughs> Well, which like is great. Sold records after that. As you, you know, yeah, we're really lucky. We're really lucky. But, you know, it's it's funny. It's it's just it just it's like anything else. It's like the ever evolving music business of you know, like for, for example, back when we were when we were doing this, it was like get in the van and go tour. And now yeah. young musicians come up and they're like, yeah, so I just really want to get in the van and go tour. And I'm like, that is the last thing you should do. You need to build your you social media and record great <laughs> yeah. songs. Like it's a completely different world. And so. Yeah, totally. You know, back then you put out a record and then you showed up to shows, and that was your responsibility. You do your interviews. Right. And now, right. being a musician, as you know full well, is a full time job. I mean, you have I have, I have twelve social network accounts that I've got to do something from every single day, and you you know you've got you have to do everything you can to just get yourself out there and. And so that's different. Yeah. So in, in, in a way, no, not in a way, you are. I mean, you are still having to live through all of these changes or whatever. It's just, you know, it, it just Absolutely. affects all of us differently. Absolutely. And, you know, now, uh, and, and by the way, the social media thing is such a time sucker. You, you know, you, you, before you know it, four or five hours goes by. Exactly. After you've done all your accounts and, and everything. I have to get up. I get up every day at 4, 4.30 in the morning. I get four hours of sleep. I have to do a lot of stuff before I got young kids at home. You know, my kids are 10, 5, and 8 months. So I can't get anything done, you know, in the afternoon. Right. Uh, so I get up early in the morning and work all day. And then if I have a show that night, then I go do the show and come home and I start all over again. Yeah. I mean, that's my reality. And as far as young bands getting in the van and going out and playing shows, it's a huge waste of time. Absolutely. I think it's a huge waste of time. I think, you know, building your, like you said, building a social network, doing and saving the money. Yeah. Because you're not going to make any money going on the road. Nobody's paying anybody anymore. Yeah, well, they didn't really so, pay us back then. I mean, until you got to the point true. where, so what we would do is we would tour Texas, make a shitload of money, and then we'd go out on the yeah. road and sp and play to nobody every single night and spend it, you know, yeah. and, and then, yeah. we, you know, we'd do the same thing over and over and over again. But yeah, that's just it. I mean, that like, I want to go on tour. I want to go on tour. That's every every young band's thing. It's just like you know what you yeah you do at a certain time. But yeah, yeah. just going but out. I there. mean, the reality is is that the the fantasy of what the tour is, even though it's you know they a lot of young bands too will say 
you know, well, we don't mind cramming five guys into a hotel room and, you know, and that kind of thing and crappy clubs and crappy back rooms, you know, and no doors on the bathrooms and that kind of, we don't mind that. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. All that stuff becomes really old, especially if you're all hung over. Exactly. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's not really that great. <laughs> uh, so now the band, you know, our, you know, Burpie still tours. In fact, we leave next week to go back east. So ironically, I'm turning right around after on Tuesday to go back where I was. Uh, but that's my reality. Uh, but, you know, now you rent a Sprinter van and you pull a trailer and you go do these shows and we're going to lose money. We know we're going to lose money. Mm-hmm. But the, the reality is, is that this is a life. Yeah. This is the life that we chose. This is what we want to do. Everybody's going to put, well, the rest of the guys are going to put a little money in their pocket. I'm going to end up losing a lot of money. But the fact is, is that this is the life I chose. And you've got to, you've got to be able to play for people that want to see you in New York and Philadelphia yeah. and other, other markets. I mean, you have to do that. It's, it's, if you want to have any kind of life in music, you have well, to. Well, also, you, you owe it to, you know, I, think, I think this, I, I love that attitude. Because I think, you know, a lot of bands get caught up in just, or just, uh, let me see, they sort of chase their tails, they run it into the ground, they run it into the ground, they run it into the ground, whereas they don't really have the attitude like you do of, and I can just tell, yours is, is probably very close to mine. My attitude on Bowling for Soup is, I owe it to the band and to the fans of the band to at least see it all through, to see, you know, what is, what, what is the, what's the future of Bowling for Soup like? And is it, you know, as you said, is it, you know, playing to the people in just the major cities or is it releasing another record? I don't fool myself in thinking I'm going to have another hit. I think that's a silly thought, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and I don't think that. I don't write music thinking that I'm going to have another hit. I write music for Bowling for Soup, you know, and, and I write sure. for other things. But when I do, I, I think about that fan that's either been with me for two years or 15 or 23, you know. And, yeah. uh, and, and I think that's important. And I think it, you know, you, you also need that you need, you know, you personally need to get out there with the verve pipe and go play those shows and have those feelings again, because you, you earned it. Of course. And I think that, you know, as far as, you know, when you touched upon writing the hits or trying to write the hits, it would be ridiculous for me to think it's the same thing. I would never in a million years think radio would play anything that I wrote. You just have to let that go and say, what am I doing? Uh, am I going to take my, continue to take my fans on a journey? Are they going to stick with me? Uh, and if I go way too far left, which would be outside of uh, what I normally do anyway, if I'm, if I'm really, uh, if I'm not true to myself, I guess, then the fans aren't going to be true to you either. You know, you have to be true to yourself. And if you are true to yourself and you happen to, you know, like Paul Simon goes into the, uh, you know, the African rhythms and uh, it's still Paul Simon writing great lyrics and having great melodies. He's got African rhythms. I went right with him. You know what I mean? And his fans go with him. So that's what you hope for, that you broaden your horizons musically and that your fans will go with you. Now, I'm not going to go put out a rap record. It'd be ridiculous. <laughs> but the fact is, is like we saw with the kids' music, we saw that there was a bit of an empty hole in, uh, in four-part harmony, rock and roll, big rock, guitar, kids' music. Uh, and that's why we thought, well, we could we could fill that hole. We could be that band that's, you know, kind of a spectacle and do fun things and that kind of thing instead of what's going on in kindy music, which was a little more light fair, you know? Well, I, uh, I, and so that was the stretch. And we, we still have fans that are like, Oh, the kids music. Why would you ever do that? You know, they hate that stuff, but still, you know, we put out the rock record and those people come right back and buy the rock. record. Absolutely. Well, well, first of all, those people can suck it because it's just like, you know, yeah. a, I also, write kids music or whatever and uh but, right, I, but I and I but I love 
I was driving in my car one day, and I wasn't even, my kids weren't even in the car. Uh, but yeah. uh, Kids Place Live was on the, uh, I, I think, I'm almost positive it was Kids Place Live. And yeah. I, it popped up, and the Verve Pipe was, at, you guys had actually recorded a live show, I think in L.A. or maybe Chicago. Uh, and they were playing it, you know, cover to cover. And I'm just like, wait a minute. Now, is this the Verve Pipe, uh. the Verve Pipe? And so then, first of all, so uh, first of all, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh, that's really cool. And then I'm like, those fucking bastards beat me to the punch because I, I wanted to be that. I wanted to be that like b that band that your parent that your parents listen to that are now playing music for you. You know that was I'm like that was my shit. <laughs> but you know what? I've watched you do it uh, on the internet, and uh, I watch. Man, you guys are great. You're awesome with the kids. We love kids. I mean, we just love kids. The fact is, is that you know the kid shows, as you know, if you've done kid shows. The that kid shows are really difficult. I mean, they're they're the hardest shows to do because you have to keep the kids' attention yep. from 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 second one to you know to you know minute sixty. And if you lose their attention, then the parents get mad at you. You're... So it's a bam, 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 bam. This is going on. This is going on. And for me, it's all theatrical and fun. It's a chance to do karate kicks and be silly <laughs> instead of this instead of the shoegazing. You know, I hate my dad angst music that we did in the nineties. Right. You know, this is time to be rock stars and like and like teach a kid how fun music can be. Totally. And so we write lyrics about shenanigans and things you shouldn't do, and you know things that we did and getting kicked out of birthday parties and that kind of stuff, all with a tongue in cheek that the parent can enjoy the little wink moments that you get from. The Shrek movies, you know, where there's a little nod to for the parents. Only the parents get that joke or whatever. Yeah. And that, that's the niche that we found with the kids' music, and it's worked out really well for us. Yeah. I'm so grateful. That niche is so important. That's so funny. I, I use uh, Shrek as an example all the time because when parents ask me about Phineas and Ferb, I'm like, yeah, it's yeah. like it's like Shrek without the fart jokes. You know, it's like it, there's humor yeah, in yeah. there for the parents. That's the thing is, though, is that you sort of have to figure out like what your age demographic is so that you could nail that humor because it changes so quickly as they as they grow, you know, up as children. And 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 back to your attention span, you know, the, the thing the thing about attention spans is. They're just getting shorter and shorter and shorter because they're yeah. just stimulated all the time. And yeah. and that's what I say about the, the the that's the thing about music fans now. Like I I just I om I I almost think that the album is a thing of the past. I think you're better off to do a single or two every few months because yeah. really you give a kid an album or and by a kid I mean a fan so that kid could be 35, but that you know you give them an yeah. album and they listen to it and they love it, but it's week six and they're like, hey, when's the new record coming out? You know? And yeah, no, it's true. I used to wait two years for a Motley Crue record, you know? And like, yeah. you know, with, I'm just like, and it was, it was, that was part of the appeal to it was waiting for that. Yeah. And now, yeah. now, Can't do that anymore. now all my fans know what I eat for breakfast. They know, you know, like of course they half do. the time they know when I take a shit because I tell them. You know, it's yeah. it's you know that it's it's just an ever changing world, man. But last thing I want to ask yeah. you about on music before we really dive into the uh, before we really dive into the to the movie, because so I can sort of separate it out is um, so you toured with you did an acoustic tour with Butch Walker, and uh, 
Butch and I go way back. He produced, um, and we he produced our second major label album called Drunk Enough to Dance, and he and I wrote Girl of the Bad Guys Want, which was a which was a big hit for I us. Think. So um, yeah, and actually there in Grand Rapids, it, it was a it was a hit twice because in Grand Rapids the rock station there played it, and then it crossed over to pop, and then the pop station started Bonus. playing it too. So. Uh, again, that's 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 how Grand Rapids has, has treated us from you know from the yeah. start. But did, did, what was that like touring with Butch? Because he's the best, right? He's the absolute best. I mean, it was it was eye opening to a level I can't even. I like sprouted the third eye. I mean, <laughs> how eye opening it was. He's such an entertainer. Yeah. And I had no idea. This is when I put out my first solo album, like 2002. And uh, I was just going out playing coffee houses, that kind of thing, or playing some clubs that, you know, Brian Vanderhoek of the Verve Pipe, you know, the Verve Pipe would be huge. Uh, and I went out not knowing what to expect. I mean, I knew Marvelous 3. I knew he was in a metal band in the 80s. I don't remember what the uh, band was. Uh, what was the big band he was in? Uh, um, he, oh, he was in, shit, what was the uh, his metal band? You just you just made it go away. Yeah, he was uh, a guitarist. The Fallen uh, Angel was the song, and they were uh, yeah, from Atlanta, yeah. and, but... And then he was in Floyd's Funk Revival, and then Marvelous Three, and then um, see, I have Google at my fingertips. That's the thing we didn't have as kids. Well, when he went out uh, on tour and asked if I would come along, I was like, "Yeah, I knew Marvelous Three. He's like, "Wow, he's doing this tour. It's a pretty big tour. I mean, it looked like he had some clubs sold out. I didn't really know anything about his solo stuff." And then I went out with him, and I got schooled as to what it's like to be an entertainer with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea uh, the capacity that that, you know, that that instrument could bring to, you know, encompass what pop music is. I thought you had to have, you know, drums and bass and the whole thing. And he had Kenny on the drums with him. Right. He played the electronic drums. But there was so much energy to his show. And it was such a polished show. It was so great. And then he was so generous with me and. And I sold a ton of those CDs. I don't even know why, because I, I felt like I was so boring compared to him. But uh, <laughs> but I got a lot of fans on that from that tour. I probably got more fans from that tour than any other tour I ever did. And I think I went out with him for maybe maybe 20, 25 days or something. South Gang was the band. talk about that. Uh, South Gang was South the band. Gang, that's right. But you're right. Yeah, it's, it's unfair. It's unfair how good he yeah. is. Um, I pride <laughs> yeah, myself on being an amazing front man, and I, and I do. I have a great rapport with the audience, but he's next level. I mean, he really is. He's, yeah. he's, uh, and just the talent that just spews out of him. Plus he's that fucking good looking and he's funny. And it just, it's like, yeah. Jesus Christ. He's like Justin Timberlake of like, you know, he like is. it just, there's nothing the he can't world. do. So, uh, yeah. it was, it was so now that you're doing <laughs> the solo thing, what is the process? Do you have a studio in your house? Do you, do you, um, you play, I mean, no, no, I can't do that. I can't have the studio in my house only because I'm not, I'm, I'm not proficient. First of all, right. um, what I, I, I have a studio, one of the guys in my band, uh, in the verb pipe has a studio. I just go over to his place and do it. Uh, I don't like to get mired in the electronics and stuff. I end up getting mired in stuff and trying different sounds. I, I really like to go to his studio and just say, put the mics up. I got a couple of ideas. Let's do this. And then we'll play around with the drum machine and then we'll get the real drummer to come in and play something and that kind of thing. So it's a really building. I build, we build records, you know, yeah. we try to build singles. Uh, that's how we did our last, and we were talking about releasing singles. That's what we've done for the last six months is we release a single a month. Uh, yeah. And so we do, that's how we do it. I have a song, we go over to his studio and do that. 
Uh, and then with the solo stuff, I usually just record in a day, record a song in a day on my own. That's it. So, uh, BrianVanderArk.com for, for all of those. Yeah, BrianVanderArk.com. In fact, I just put out a digital album of covers, my favorite cover tunes, and then, and then everybody can stream those online there um, for free, of course. But yeah, they can check out all the solo material there. You're in the movie Rockstar. It's in 2001. As you said, it comes out around the time of, uh, of 9-11, which it, it's, it's amazing how bad that sucked for literally everybody in the country on so many levels and, and and obviously our problems are small compared to those affected <laughs> Believe me, by I know. It, you know um but yeah you so you play ricky bell and uh, in the in the band blood fusion and uh <laughs> yeah. dude you're you again you're on set with zach wild who yeah possibly crazy. you know arguably one of the greatest metal guitar players of all time I would say that's true. My favorite band member, is though, is Jason Bonham. Did you tell him that his father's band sucked, or <laughs> did you keep that to yourself? You know, I think he appreciated the fact that I never even made the connection with him <laughs> to even, like, discuss. That's the way I like to uh, think of it. Uh, how, do you, how, how do you even, like, explain to a guy, you know? He, he's had to have heard it before. Sure. Uh, we can't be the only ones that didn't like Zeppelin, but no, I would never in a million years. I would never in a million years put myself in that uncomfortable position. <laughs> I would never be able to be, be around him because I would just be, every single time I'd see him, I'd just be like, all that I can do is wait for you. I'd just be like, it'd be constant. But then, then you've got Bloss Elias, the the best looking person yeah. in the history of metal, just walking around. I know that's just he's fucking great. unfair. He's such a great guy too. Have you ever met him? I have not. Uh, now I met uh, members of Slaughter, but I never met Bloss. He's uh, he's such a nice, he's such an amiable guy, just like the guy, just like a classic nice guy. There's like nothing you could ever say or do that would ever make him mad or it didn't seem, you know, he just was like the easiest going guy with, you know, with the flip of a hair and, you know, this, this charismatic smile. I mean, he wasn't a guy that you would discuss Kierkegaard with or anything, but he was just this, this, this guy that I would, that's so fun to like go out with him, just have a beer with and just be a guy with him. Right. He's really just super guy. I loved him. Miles Kennedy, who's been in tons of bands. Miles. Great. Yeah. Uh, loved, loved him and knew him briefly before uh, Rockstar and knew what a powerful singer he was. And then Zach Wilde's guitar player, Nick Cantonese. Yeah, from... Cantonese. Yeah, great guy as well. In fact, when I got hired to be the guitar, I was going to be the guitarist in the, in Blood Pollution, and uh, they expected me to be the other lead guitarist. And uh, and so I took lessons for like two weeks to like try to shred. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to shred with Zach Wilde. There's no way. So I called up the producer. I said, dude, you got to make me the bass player. I can play the bass. <laughs> I love it, man. Don't make me play. Because there's no way I wanted to be berated by Jack. By, so he brought his guy, Nick, in from Black Label Society and loved Nick as well. In fact, we talked about putting a band together just to go out and tour. Yeah. Uh, great guy. Great guy. And so you said you were on the set for three months? Yeah, pretty close to three months. I mean, it was it was at least two, a little over two. I mean, that's and a... living in a trailer, and that was I mean, it was. But it, you know, they had rehearsals. Uh, excuse me, one second. I'm paying a toll. Yeah, go ahead. Hold on one second. For the life of me, I, how much? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love it, man. <laughs> Embrace that shit. See, man, people are like, are you sick of playing 1985? I'm like, fuck no. Why would I ever get sick of that? 
like people like you, you uh, know because i thought to myself i'm like because you know i i when i do talk to musicians it's not always where i'm recording it so you know but i i try to put myself in your shoes and be like you know all, he's not going to want to just talk about the freshman the whole time obviously but at the same time you seem like the kind of guy that's like man fucking ask me whatever you want that song's been great to me <laughs> you can yeah no doubt you can and you can't i can't dismiss it listen i'm thankful that i didn't write i'm too sexy or something ridiculous like that right. i mean i wrote something that that people cared about enough and uh and it and listen it still pays the mortgage you know hey did so, um, did the, did the verve pipe get Big, or did y'all get so big? Obviously, you sold enough records, but I'm just wondering. I mean, because you and you stayed in Michigan. Did you get guys get yeah. like Hollywood big, like where you were going out and like doing Hollywood parties and and like and with other celebrities or? No, I don't know that we. Um, no, we didn't really. You know, we we didn't really do much of that. I think that was. I don't even know if that was our choice, to be honest with you. I know that I'm really not into that as much, right? Uh, as some of my other friends were, but. But I, I certainly would have gone. I, I don't think we were ever really invited. You know, we, we were never up for a Grammy. We never did that thing or, or you know, the, or any other reason to really do that. We toured constantly. Yeah. I mean, it always seemed like every time, and you know, I mean, when you're in the height of a, of a successful record, we, you know, we, when you go to New York, you're like, oh, we're going to go to New York. we got to be there for three days. Awesome. And you're schedule is so packed full of shit Absolutely. that there's no time to do anything yeah. you know if i'm doing the so, math correctly you chose to have kids after or not chose but you had your kids sort of after the insanity of 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 the oh my god of, yeah yeah so see i no, i met my wife in 2003 okay or 2004 we got married we actually i met her we got married three months later oh wow that's how that's how in love I felt That's fucking love, with my man. wife. And then we, uh, you know, we had a baby right away. Like I said, I had to keep her in Michigan somehow. Uh, <laughs> and then we've had a couple more kids. So no, she, uh, she never went through that with me, that period of me being uber famous. She gets to be, she gets to be there now when, you know, occasionally somebody in the grocery store will ask me if, uh, if I'm the guy from the Verve pipe or the Verve. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Notice I didn't ask about that. Because I know you're fucking um, sick of that shit. <laughs> the, I don't care. I embrace it. I don't care. The, I, the, but you gotta, you gotta admit, when the Verve fucking had their song taken away from them, it felt a little good, right? It felt a little good when the Rolling Stones were just like, we're just gonna fucking take that. <laughs> you all that Nike money you got on the uh, Elway Favre Super Bowl? You know, remember that all that money? We're just gonna I take do. it. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is that I am that guy that you're describing. Uh, that sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, well fuck you, you know, too bad. Yeah. But I never really felt that with that band for some reason. I felt this weird kinship with that band because when we were starting out in '92 and we had just named the band and we had just started playing gigs with the band, we just got our album out with the name of our band on it. We saw like a Q magazine or one of the English magazines, and we saw an ad for I think it was the Storm was coming out by The Verve, and we're like, oh my God, there's a band called The Verve. What are we gonna do? <laughs> we're like, what are the chances that will you know that they'll be successful and that we'll be successful? We're, like, we're not gonna worry about it. And swear to God, it was like months that our songs were number one. Yeah, it was like months apart. It was the craziest confusion ever. So I've always felt this kind of odd kinship, and I also feel I also know for a fact that it hurts them a lot more when the teen the teenagers are all like, "Oh my God, I love the freshmen so much! I must kill those yeah. guys." 
you know, because they were the real credible, the critic adored band, and we really weren't. So their credibility was much greater. So when they would hear people say that, I'm sure they were just like, "Oh my god!" It hurt please. them more than it helped you, you know. So, or no, it yeah, helped but, you more. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, something like that. I have a similar situation, and it's only similar because I'm making it so because this is my fucking show. Uh, the, of course, you do whatever you the, want. Uh, <laughs> so we're the 1985 band, but for <laughs> nine or ten years, people have been coming to our shows, and they're like, "Play Stacy's mom," and like they make shirts and they make signs <laughs> or whatever. And so we'd be like, "Hey, you know what? That's not our song. That's Fountains of Wayne." A couple of Christmases ago, I fucking got wise to it. I mean, <laughs> if you you put in St- put Stacy's mom in on Google. We come right up, right? So, like, second thing. So I'm like, well, shit, we'll just go record it. So we recorded it and put it on iTunes. And uh, the funny thing is, is that song that I was talking about earlier, High School Never Ends, I wrote that with Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne. And so I yeah, sent it to him. Right when, album, by the way. It's brilliant. Right when we did, I sent it to him. And I'm just like, hey, man, we recorded we recorded your song. I just wanted you to have a copy of it. And he, he first of all, he was just like, this is the greatest thing that anybody's ever done. This is really funny. He goes, but his comment was, it's so nice to hear our songs with the vocals in tune. <laughs> Of course, it's so Adam. Greatest, greatest compliment of all time, man. Greatest compliment. And a backhanded, a backhanded insult or a backhanded compliment to his own singer. Exactly. He, uh, you know, he produced our album underneath with Colorful on it, so he produced Colorful. Oh, I did not know that. Was that? Oh that... yeah, you know, he co-wrote a couple of songs with us too. He's, I, I love Adam. He was my 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 favorite producer for the first time. He was just great. So I was going to ask about the song Colorful. So the song Colorful uh, again yeah. appears at the at the end of the film. By the way, it's by the way, it's your show. Yet I'm the one leading you back to the right place to go. I know, I dude. Know you're a f- you're a fucking so, professional. You got a couple. You got a couple of. You know, we're but we're both not. We're both fucking farting dust. But you got a couple of years on me. So you, I'm fucking following your lead. <laughs> Uh, the uh, uh, the song "Colorful" it's at the end of the movie "Rockstar." Again, Mark Wahlberg he lip syncs it, but then you guys put it on your your album, as you said, underneath. But there's a video going around. So is it your your voice that's on the movie, or is it just this video that's on YouTube? My voice in the movie, yeah. If that's what you're asking me, yeah, he lip syncs to my voice. That's, yeah, that's my voice. That's cool as shit, man. I mean, that's 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 got to be. That's like opposite of what I see on television. I see a, a cartoon character, and it's my voice, and you're seeing Mark Wahlberg, and it's your voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's that's yeah, but but where you come from, you know, when you're doing the voiceover for a for a, a cartoon character, it's wide open, and you have that. It, it can't bother you as much as it bothered me to see Mark lip thinking to my voice. <laughs> it just did not work. It didn't work. I was like, this is that. I said, Mark, this does not worry. He's like, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to care. Yeah. And I told my manager, my manager and one of the producers, look, it, it, it looks terrible. It's not going to work. And I said, don't worry about it. To this day, people think Mark Wahlberg sang that song. That's how long I was. When you were on the set of Rockstar, I mean, so you, you were saying, is a party, party atmosphere, is party cast. I mean, were you, yeah. were, I mean, obviously people want to know. I mean, were you rubbing elbows with Jennifer Aniston and Mark Wahlberg? I mean, did you guys hang out or was it more of like a, Oh, I smooched Jennifer. Did I you? Your elbow. What are you talking about? Did I you? I kissed her on the lip. You yeah, did? Absolutely. You son of a bitch. She, she gave me a great little smooch at the end of the whole thing, and I had this awesome, beautiful black and white 8x10 picture of it. And uh, and the photographers said, you cannot show this. You can't publish this anyway. This is for your private collection. And I was like, awesome. I had this picture of me and uh, Jennifer uh, with a little peck. And 
my ex-girlfriend stole it. Fucking out of my bitch. That made my heart. my heart fucking sink. Like, I got butterflies in my stomach just hearing about that. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Uh, but that was, oh, no, she was, Jennifer was great. The only complaint I had about her was that she bummed all of my cigarettes. Oh. But, you know. Yeah. You know, but me, I, I the second night that that started happening, I, I made sure to have two extra packs of cigarettes and yeah. lip gloss and anything she could possibly ever need just to sing and hang around me. <laughs> and was Mark, Mark Wahlberg, was he nice? Was uh, Awesome. Good dude. Did, were, his, he was were his brothers great. around the set ever? No. Uh, I didn't see him his brothers, but he did have a group with him, and I can't recall who it was, but I'm sure it was very similar to the Entourage <laughs> show. It seemed like those guys, you know, that kind of group of guys that were with him most of the time. And uh, and listen, Mark really championed the song. He loved the song, told me how much he loved it, and, he, uh, you know, he made sure that the song was in there a lot in the movie, like two over two minutes. Right. He was really, he was really generous. I love a really it. great guy. It's not just that movie, too. I mean, you've been in, in several independent films, but what I found interesting was you were in Matthew Litweiler's Roadkill, which was kind of his first big independent film. I didn't know film. that. <laughs> he's, well, he's, do, he's done a bunch of independent film, films, and you're in his first yeah. one. And I'm just curious, uh, for those those real movie buffs, was that yeah. cool working with, with such a young director? And did you know, okay, this guy's going to do some shit? Yeah, I absolutely knew. I mean, I became friends with him early on uh, through a mutual friend of mine, a girl I'd been dating. Uh, and I knew right away that Matt and I would be would be fast friends, and we were. We, we're still friends to this day. Awesome. Like I just saw him for my 50th birthday party. He just he flew out to see me. He's an incredible guy, and I love him, and I love the work that he does over in the Congo. So, yeah, right away, I knew that Matt and I would have a great connection, and, and he put me in his first movie, and and, uh, and then I ended up doing Dead and Breakfast with him, and I did one more movie with him as well. And, so, yeah, I mean, a terrific guy. And Dead and Breakfast, you did the, the musical score as I well. I did the score, yeah, I did the score for that. And uh, and then I played uh, the part of the tall hick. Did you like doing the music score? Did you actually sit there in the room and like make the music flow with the with with everything, or was it more of just like you wrote some songs and they put them in the movie? No, I did the score, and I'll tell you what. Here's a secret. This is exclusive for you. I've never told anybody, and I don't even think Matt knows. Okay. I was I had no technology whatsoever, so what I would do is I had a, uh, I think it was a VHS tape even, and I would play the VHS tape on my little TV, a little 8-inch TV with a VHS player uh, attached to it, and I would rewind it over and over to hit the cues just right. And I'd have my Pro Tools, so I wouldn't import any movie into Pro Tools to do it the way most people do it. I would have to try to hit the cue of where the guy gets hit with a sledgehammer exactly at the point. If I wasn't right wind the tape and do it again <laughs> that score was a debacle and it ended up being great right. in fact they you know at the night of the premiere people were just shitting over this incredible score that i did who is that what's her name portia uh, de rossi right yeah yeah is that her name portia? Yep. Yeah, yeah yeah she said brian vanderock is fucking awesome she thought it was the greatest score ever oh man and yet here i was it took me four or five months to do this score like rewind of this tape and then i don't think i've ever really done a score that's done any kind of justice uh since then <laughs> man you, you know, know what though it's that. it's that kind of stuff though it's that kind of passion and commitment and just making it work that you know it is it's like when you go back and listen to an album that you did you know, I don't know, 10, say 10, 12 years ago or whatever. And not just yeah. because it had hits, but if you go and listen to it 
and you're like, shit, that's fucking cool. And like, it's so crazy that I was thinking that. And I don't even remember doing this. And, and it's like, so now I do, I record music the same way you do now. I, it's all just a building thing. Like I lay down a, a drum loop and then I record this, I record that. Then I have the real drummer play on. And then, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's a jigsaw puzzle now. And uh, yeah. it is. Well, my best friend Linus of Hollywood and I call it painting by numbers. You have this, yeah. you do the demo with all fake instruments and then you just record over each thing one by one and then there's the song, <laughs> yeah. you're done. Yeah, there it is. And yeah. so, but anyway, I, I love the fact that you did that with a VCR and, and you know, sitting there and doing it because again, <laughs> yeah. you you uh, you probably learned a lot about yourself and your patience. <laughs> and Most definitely. Got you but ready I for kids. Learned, I think I, I'd love to, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I'd love to think that sometimes, but the reality was is that I'm Dutch and incredibly cheap and I didn't want to like, you know, for this movie, I didn't want to like go out and buy, you know, thousands of dollars worth of equipment to like really score it when I felt like, oh, I could do this this way. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, so I I'm don't not need sure all that. that's all that passionate. I'm the fucking worst about like, uh, so again, Linus is like an amazing producer and he's doing all kinds of TV scores and stuff like that. And he, yeah. but he keeps everything real simple. He's on like Pro Tools nine still and shit and like he has like yeah. his one yeah. compressor and his what you know what and everything's real simple and i'm the guy who doesn't yeah. know shit about anything but i see somebody use yeah. some plug-in in the studio i'm like i need that and i fucking spend the money on it and i never touch it you know because hey i don't know yeah, how it works yeah. i don't know what a threshold yeah. is I, what the fuck is yeah, that i don't understand it i didn't either <laughs> Well, Brian, I don't man, want to understand it. Brian, That's this right. has been so much fun. Thank you for allowing me to take an hour of your time on your uh, on your quiet drive you were supposed to be having. And uh, man, I hope we can catch up again soon, man. Stay in touch with me, and uh, let's let's definitely if you're ever in Dallas or or you know if we're in LA at the same time or whatever, let's hook up. If you guys if you guys come through and play here uh, in Dallas, please let me know. Hey, as a matter of fact, we're going to be there on July first in Arlington. Awesome. Okay, so July first, uh, the Verve Pipe will be in Arlington for my Dallas listeners. But everybody else who is listening to this, go to brianvanderark.com and check out all of his solo stuff. And then I assume the vervepipe.com for for you guys. Correct. For your for your tour dates and all of that stuff, and Brian is active on the socials. Do you want to plug your Twitter or Instagram or anything? Yeah, Brian Brian Vanderark one for Twitter and uh, Instagram is just Brian Vanderark. Brian, I appreciate it, man. Happy Mother's Day to the wife, please, and uh, do drive safe yes, and, uh, and and enjoy enjoy this uh, the rest of your week, man. I just want to say a huge thanks to Brian Vanderark for chatting with me on the phone. If you want to hear the rest of what he had to say about the movie Rockstar, you can go to JarrettGoesToTheMovies.com and click on the Rockstar podcast, and he is on there. He does five questions, and we talk a lot about Jennifer Aniston as well. So check that out. But for now, thanks for listening, guys. Be sure to go to BowlingForSoup.com and follow me on the Twitters, J-A-R-E-T-2113. And by all means, check out the Jarrett Goes to the Movies podcast. We're having a lot of fun. Those come out every single Friday. And you can get there by just going to JarrettGoesToTheMovies.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you down the road. Hey, everybody, this is my podcast. This is my podcast. This is my podcast. Hey, everybody, this is my podcast. This is my podcast. So suck it.